listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Enigmatic, passionate, modest. Forbes Graham is a multi-instrumental, cross-genre composer, performer, and visual artist whose work explores themes of simultaneity, perceptibility, transformation, and collage. He is currently a 2020 Jack Studio artist and has also received commissions from Anthony R. Green and the Festival of New Trumpet. He has written work for the avant-rock ensemble Normal Love, soprano Stephanie Lamprea, and Castle of Our Skin's Black Composer Miniature Challenge. His work has been performed as part of the New Gallery Concert Series. Graham also produces Beyond Apex, a bi-weekly podcast showcasing the work of other experimental musicians, with a particular focus on presenting music and sound works across the fields of contemporary experimental music, whether that be free jazz, non-idiomatic improvisation, new music, noise, or sound art. Well, Forbes, uh, great to meet you, and um, you know we're gonna we're gonna look at three of your pieces today, and I wanted to start off with your string quartet number one. Um, this was just recently, was it recently performed or recently premiered? Recently premiered, yes. Awesome. Uh, so when did you write this piece and what were kind of the circumstances surrounding it? Yeah, so I started this piece on uh, New Year's Day of 2015. Um, back in the day, uh, well, actually, it wasn't much of a tradition because it didn't last long. But I, for a while, I had this tradition of... Um, driving to Hudson, New York on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live in Boston, Massachusetts, but the, you know, this whole time I've just been in that general area. It's, it's maybe a three and a half hour drive, something like that. So on that particular day, I drove out to Hudson and I just got this bug in my ear to write a string quartet. I had never written one before. I was like, let's go. And, uh, I started writing it. I was sitting in some cafe and, um, the main thing was I was, it's weird because it's like the structure of it has its own thing that is, it's not programmatic or there's, you know, there's no real, you know, like, um, kind of thing about anything to it. Mm-hmm. But like I dedicated it to my grandmother and, uh, I don't know, there must've been something about her in there somewhere or, or just some, something about that feeling of, uh, missing her and everything that kind of got in it somehow um but at any rate yeah i i started working on it that day um and i kept plugging away i forget how long it took me to write it i just don't remember um but the way that it kind of um works is that each movement has um like a like a kind of a graph uh that would be the correct mathematical term um and the graph is used to create this adjacency matrix and the adjacency matrix is rotated and um, reflected if you have like a uh, like a square uh, there's eight different transformations you could do to it okay so all of those determine kind of like when the sort of the motivic material happens and, uh, I mean, no one can see this, um, otherwise I'd go try to grab a piece of paper and draw it out. But the point is, uh, you get some, some nice combinations of instruments doing different things at different times. 
um, by using it. And uh, it's a nice way to kind of um, kind of develop the material. Um, and so each movement has a different um, diagram, basically. Mm-hmm. And what's kind of interesting about it is it's it's an intuitive process, but it's also like very much um, you can kind of set you can kind of pre pre plan it because when you you know you can know you you can know what um, the diagram will lead to what adjacency matrix. So mm-hmm. in theory, if you wanted every instrument to be playing together the same way, developing the material the same way. You could draw that diagram and then just have that be what happens. But when you want some more interesting combinations, you have a different drawing. Yeah. Um, So that adjacency matrix, is that kind of, is that dictating uh, instrumental combination choices or is that dictating pitch choices or, or how is that working? It's the instrumental combination choices. Okay. So the pitch choices is definitely more um, boring, for lack of a better word. Like, <laughs> pretty much like, like I have I write a motive, and then what I would do is like, so it's like there's a a prime a prime prime, you know a prime 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 or whatever, and then B, and each one of them has it. It's like A B C D, and then they, each one does. And it's, you know, sometimes you have overlaps between A and B or different things, but in each of those I wrote, I said, well, okay, the, the transformation from, you know, A to A prime is this thing, which usually it was just like a transposition, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part was not, you know, not as kind of uh, structured by um really anything but much less the graph like i would just write something like i you know i wrote you know the like in each one of those was like it was like a two two measures so the a prime the a prime prime or whatever is two measures so i just wrote the two measures and then it's like i've got those two measures over here and then a lot of it was just um it depended but a lot of it was combinatorial so i was like i look at the pitch set i've got and i fill in the rest um and just try to do that in you know my own intuitive way and the way that I think it's gonna sound good or yeah I wanted to do so so that idea of combinatoriality not necessarily from like a Schoenbergian or or a Webern idea of like oh I'm gonna take these rows or something but just looking at like kind of making the choice in the moment not di- being dictated by some gr- like grand twelve tone row or something like that. Yes, I'd say so because like I wrote, if I write a melody, I don't think about well. Usually, I usually don't have a set ahead of time. I just mm-hmm. write the melody, and then I go, "What's the set on the melody?" And then I go, "What do I do? How do I change it? How do I play with it?" Uh, and in the case of this thing, um, you know, if you have that initial set and then you maybe just do a transposition on it, um, it's is not so much that like from soup to nuts um everything is like mapped to that original set it just mm-hmm. doesn't work that way um and i yeah i don't really do that i'm trying to think if i 
No, I don't really do that. I will do things like, um, I'll have like one motive and then just transform it over and over again. Mm-hmm. But I won't really take like a, a row or, or anything like that and necessarily do that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think more and more, you know, I certainly, I, I teach set theory, um, to, you know, to my students and I, I've used it in the past, but trying to like trying to get back into it later in life. And I'm just like, ah, this is so, this is too restrictive, you know? And I like, uh, yeah, I like that idea of like, Hey, I'm just going to write something and then analyze it. And through that analysis, I can, I can br- transform it. I can, I can bring out other things. I can, I can like change intervals and stuff, but it's like, you're not saying, I'm going to, this entire piece is zero one six or some way. You know, right. Because, right. Because exactly. Like, exactly. Because like no. when you do that, like, yeah, the, those pieces are great for analysis class, but usually they don't sound too great because they're, they're so like one note, they're one color, you know, think, it's, think about a total, a tonal piece. Think about a tonal piece that only uses major chords. You know, it just, it's not going to work. Right. Right. No, I mean, and I think like, it it also depends on like how you conceive how you want to change that set so like i think a lot of times if you're just, if you really like you said you know if, if you had a piece that was all major chords that would be boring mm-hmm. um and if you had a piece that was you know one pitch class set and then all you did was transpose it it would be pretty boring mm-hmm. and you know if you, I guess, started to think, well, um, I might make certain changes to this in a certain way, uh, that could get a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you could just write that. Like, you could just, in other words, like like you said, 016, so I could say, well, you know, I'll take the zero and I'll do this to that, and I'll take the one and I'll do this, and I'll, I'll do, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, x squared minus whatever for this. Mm-hmm. But you could also just write something and yeah. it, it just depends on what your process is and what you're trying. And and the thing is like, I have the overarching structure for my, what I call my cohesiveness and my unity and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So like, that's where I'm really focused on um, having something to fill in from. Uh, I don't need that at like that lower a level per se. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So the, the you said there are three movements. Um, do they? D- does each one kind of have a specific character that you're going after, or like how do, how do each of those movements work? Sort of, um, but it's it's kind of like it just sort of happened. It wasn't so much okay. like really super planned out. And the first one, it was just like I want to write a nice melody, so like. I started out, I wrote a nice melody, and then I worked worked on that. Uh, the second one was more like um, metal. Like, uh, I'm into death metal and things like that. And uh-huh. so I was sort of, like, especially in a bit, I was sort of just imagining some, like, you know, some cool metal band riffing it out, and I kind of went off of that. And it has a little bit of the kind of genty mashuga sort of stuff a mm-hmm. little bit um and 
yeah, that was just, I was like, yeah, I want to do that for that. And then in the third one, honestly, the third one, it do, it doesn't sound like this, but I was kind of thinking of Beethoven. Um, yeah. And there was just something about um, taking this melody and just the way that it kind of came out and like, it's not really dainty, but like sort of to me that might be the word I would use Mm -hmm. and I was just thinking I was thinking about Beethoven when I wrote that third movement Um, uh, you know but uh, again as you see those are very those are three pretty different I guess the first and the third are sort of the same but not really yeah Um, but they're pretty disparate kind of things you know like um, there's you know the kind of the treatment of things is similar in all of the movements as far as just how things transform and change and there's all this octave stuff and so like that's the same but um yeah they're all different and and like i said i have the structure and then i do stuff with it but it's not it's not i guess the 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 kind of the like I said, the top layer is the rocket science, and everything underneath yeah. is just the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I I really like that. Uh, yeah, that kind of description of it. Um, who are we going to hear on this uh, recording? So we're going to hear um, Ashley Gordon, Catherine Winterstein, Rose Drucker, and Francesca McNeely. And this uh, was part of New Gallery Concert Series, um, concert from... Um, here to there I want to say I hope it's I can't remember if it was there to here no it had to have been here to there why would you go from there to here <laughs> anyway, that, that would be funny though <laughs> is that um, um, is that Castle of Our Skins no but but um, Ashley is um, right. one of the co-founders of Castle of Our Skins and Francesca yeah. does a bunch of stuff yeah, that, well. that, that yeah, that's why I was asking. Um, I actually went to yeah. school. I went to school with Francesca. Um, we went to Rice. Oh, Valley. okay. Yeah, she's okay. Awesome. S- small world, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, let's listen to this. So this is string quartet number one. <laughs>
one of the reasons I was so interested in having you on the podcast is it seems like you are into so many different things. And I think <laughs> as we will discover over the course of the show today, like looking at, at your works, and I really admire how multifaceted you are and almost seemingly like fearless. I mean, it might not be fearless, but, you know, uh, to just kind of throw yourself into very different artistic situations. Where do you think that comes from in you? I'm going to go with probably just growing up is my guess. Um, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is uh, right next to Washington, D.C. And just, you know, grew up with all different types of people. Um, You know, uh, I got exposed to different types of music at a, not at a young age, honestly, more at a later age, but still at, you know, in high school and everything. And, um, I mean, I just kind of, I go where the sound is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I tell people a lot of times really that and is, I don't know how much this will make sense to people listening or won't, will, won't. But I tell people a lot of times that Napalm Death was the band that, um, made me feel like anything was possible in music. And for anyone who doesn't know, they're one of the uh, earliest and most important bands in extreme metal music and grindcore. They had songs that were like a second long and things like that. And Mm -hmm. they played some of the fastest music that could be played at that time. And, you know, I just, I grew up, doing all kinds of things, knowing all kinds of people. And, uh, you know, to me, that's just how it is. So um, I don't know that it's always fearless. There's, t- <laughs> you right. know, and, and, I, and I, th- I think, you know, and I think what it is, too, is you get the older you get, for me anyway, the older you get, like, I feel like I, I don't, I want to be limited even less. Like, I feel like if there's something maybe that I didn't do, that I want to try that or I want to just get involved in something else because um and it's funny because in the in the intro to on on the um new gallery thing I was talking about oh you know I'm kind of more known as a free jazz guy mm-hmm. and then I wrote this string quartet and you know I mean that's sort of true in some sense but it's like it's just like that's more what I was known for, not necessarily everything that I was doing. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's really a lot of it, you know. I think I think that uh, that idea of like being known for something versus who you are is a uh, or <laughs> not necessarily who you are, but like uh, like what you're into. That's such an important distinction. Uh, before we get into your next piece, because I think this kind of ties into what we were just talking about, can you talk a little bit about your podcast, uh, Beyond Apex? What kinds of things are you doing on the show, and how can people find it uh, if they want to listen to it? Sure, sure. So the the show, um, I say where, where it's at, beyondapexshow.com. I'm actually behind on doing another one. Um, and it really got started just when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. I had been wanting to do something like this for a while. And I had been wanting to do what what I call the old school podcast. Just like it's just 
because it's really it's just music there's very little talking like i come in and i id tracks and that's really about it mm-hmm. um and i had just wanted to been do that do that for a long time i think i don't really know i guess part of it was like i just wanted to be like hey this is what i like people yeah um or at least this is some of what i like um and then when the pandemic hit i was like feeling like a lot of um I don't know the right word like I was feeling like I had to do something like and obviously who knows what that something is or was but the thing that I want to do is just support the music and support the people playing the music let people know about it and um just just try to be supportive essentially so I started the show I just started putting stuff together and then it was like, and here's the thing, like I've moved a number of times over the years and so on and so forth. So I just started running through my record collection fairly quickly. <laughs> um, but, but be, you know, in the other sense, because I was always trying to be supportive, it was like, that's fine. Cause I'm now I'm going to go buy all these records, you know? And like, it was kind of cool. Cause I wasn't really buying a lot of music before I started doing a show. And now I buy quite a bit of music and that's something that I'm really happy about. And like, you know, obviously we have all our, you know, we have different priorities. We have different financial priorities, different financial situations, just everything that we're all dealing with uh, right now. But, you know, I say to people, definitely go, you know, buy some music if you've got the, the, the time and the money to spare. Um, and so that was that was kind of like another aspect of it, too, was like not just to go through my record collection, right. but to support to support artists um by you know buying the stuff and like there's some stuff there's a little bit of things that people gave me or sent me but i really i try to discourage that to be honest with you because mm-hmm. like i don't necessarily want you to give me free stuff to play on a show i want to buy your stuff so that uh you know granted the seven bucks is seven bucks <laughs> but it's yeah. something right exactly uh, so that's where it came from and in it and in the show it has i mean it's all experimental music basically but it covers like a pretty wide range of exper- quote experimental music. Right. I mean, I was I was uh, in the car driving the other day, and I was thinking about this. Um, how you know, in the age of like Apple Music or Spotify, like we really don't buy music anymore. But over the past year, especially with what um, Bandcamp has been doing, you know, on their right. like first Fridays, um, all the they they waive their fear you know however however the the financial uh, structure works but i've found myself in the past like year or two years like you don't have to buy anything you know you can nope. you can find pretty much <laughs> everything uh, out there in some form or another but i started i did start buying albums specifically particularly of, you know, people that, like you say, I want to support. And it's like, it's so weird because, you know, I th- I think we're, we're, I think we're probably about the same age, but when we were kids, you bought music because that was the only way you could get it yep. as opposed to, you know, like, oh, I'll just wait around on the radio or something and, and see if the mm-hmm. song comes on or, or something like that. But now buying music is, almost like it's it it is 
like you say, it's a showing of support. Like I want to support these artists because I think they're important as opposed to, I want to consume this product, you know, buying music has almost become like more of a, I don't know. It's, it's not like necessarily like a political statement or something like that, but it is a statement that you're making. Like I am going to put my money to this because I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, You know, now obviously there's a lot more to all those things than just doing that. So, you know, that's that's a really a drop in the bucket, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I say that unfortunately because that's what I'm doing. Um, but uh, I just, that's just how I feel. Yeah. And it's also, weirdly enough, um, I was off social media for a really long time. Like I kind of, I was off all of it for years. And I came back, I uh, came back one time and I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this guy that I used to play with, he put out like four or five albums while I, and I had no idea because I wasn't on social media, mm-hmm. which made me think like, geez, first of all, I guess it's good for something, but still like, you know, like I have to, this is the only way I'm going to know about this. Like, ah, oh, that's, that's so annoying, you know, yep. um, in a weird way to me, buying the albums, it helps me to connect. Yeah. And sometimes it's to people that I don't know and sometimes it's to people even that I do know um and it's just like how music sometimes helps you to connect and especially like for some you know like I'm not the ultimate introvert but you know music's a lot of how I relate with other people Mm -hmm. and then you have this pandemic and you can't really relate in the same way you don't have no gigs and you know there's just that kind of lack of thing yeah and you know unfortunately I you know I don't I, I guess I, I, I don't want to prescribe consumerism as a replacement for connections or anything like that. But um, but I do want to say that, you know, someone put the time and the effort to release music. And at least in some of those cases, they put in a considerable effort. I mean, obviously, some people don't. But, um, <laughs> you know then we could show some respect for their time and effort and buy some of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's talk about your, uh, the second piece we're going to look at, and this is encounters. And we're going to look at the second movement of this piece. How many movements are in this piece encounters? Four. Four. There's four in this one. So this is for, uh, four voices, electronics and trumpet. So, how does uh how does that like the whole piece work and then specifically this movement too sure so the way this piece worked is that um the people who were doing the the voices they were getting text messages from a script that i wrote so essentially the the backstory of this is that this was performed at this place roulette in New York and the organizer is a woman by the name of Cecilia Lopez. She reached out to me and she's like, Oh, I'd like you to come and do this thing that I'm putting together. And we're looking for stuff that has an interactive component to it. 
So I'm sitting there going, interactive, interactive. <laughs> and then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, well, you know, like I'll take some text and I'll chop it up and I'll have it sent via text message to people and I'll have them read it. So uh, that's what I did. So I wrote um, a little script in Python and it takes this text from this novel called Passing by Nella Larson. Uh, and hopefully I don't get sued for any of this, but <laughs> it's it's chopped up to the okay. point. If I didn't say that, no one would know. Exactly, <laughs> um, yeah. So I can't be sued for this. So anyway, um, <laughs> what happens is that... Um, and 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 it and it and it's done by there's this app called Twilio or something, and they have an API that you can you know glom on to to send the messages. Mm -hmm. So I I had four volunteers out of the crowd. I said, "Give me your phone number." They gave me the phone numbers. I wrote them down. I put them in my little script, and then boom, and then you know it gives them the instructions. So you know, and I had to tell them. I said, you know, it's like. Come on up to the stage, go back down, because I think in I think in the one you said, there's one guy says you may be seated. You're not supposed to say that, but like, <laughs> you know, that's part of the fun of it. So, yeah. uh, so there's so there's the four movements. So the um, the first movement is electronics and trumpet. The second movement is electronics and the voices, with me doing a solo at the end, if I recall correctly. And the yeah. third movement, the, the third movement was interesting because. The third movement, I had the people stay in the crowd. So the the the, the that first time they came up, there there were some chairs sitting right there in front of the audience. They sat there, they got the text, and they read them into the mics. Third movement, I had them in the crowd still, and they got a text with a prompt, and uh -huh. the prompt was to talk to the person next to them about what I was asking them to talk about. And then to try to spread the conversation through the crowd. So what happened is you hear this murmuring off in the crowd and the other people don't know what the heck is going on. And eventually they, you kind of pitch, you know, figure it out that like uh -huh. it's part of the piece. But the idea was to kind of mess around with that whole uh, dichotomy of, you know, you know, what's happening and what isn't. Like the social the construct fourth, of, a, of a concert. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the fourth one, they come back up on the stage and they, um, you know, read from the texts again. And the texts are... In the second and fourth, the texts are from the novel. The third one is a prompt to... I think the prompt was to discuss a time when you weren't understood or something like that. Wow. Wow, those are volunteers. That's incredible. Oh, man, I yeah. love that so much. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun. And, and um, the funny thing is, Roulette, you know, they shot a really great video. Uh-huh. And the problem is the people's numbers are written down on a piece of paper oh, that no. I had next to me, and you can see them towards the end of the video. So oh, I've never no. put it on YouTube because I haven't had time to edit that part out. Yeah. Eventually, I'll I'll edit that part out and I'll put it on, but like I just haven't gotten around to it, and that's why no one, you know. Yeah. There's I've shared I share it with people sometimes, but like I don't I've never just put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. And that there's a lot of potential for that, too you know, to do all kinds of things, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you could, uh, w with that same technology, you could probably replace, um, you know, uh, replace the text and could you, could you send like pictures or something? I'm, I'm just thinking like, could you, could this turn, like 
have your have your music like have musicians spread out and then just send them different bits of stuff to play or i don't know it's like that Um, that structure seems like there's so many different ways you can mess with it there are and um i'd have to look at the api again but i don't see why you couldn't send an image like there's there's no there's no practical reason why you couldn't do it so um yeah there's a lot of things um i had a piece called today's media that was um it's like uh you take the newspaper Mm -hmm. and give it give it divvy it out to the crowd and then the conductor kind of just brings people in and out reading the paper Mm -hmm. um and so like every now and then i've kind of done some things like that but yeah there's really there's kind of some Fairly endless-ish, I wouldn't say completely endless, but like fairly endless-ish possibilities because, you know, if somebody has that device, you can communicate with them. And and the thing is, like, I wrote a pretty simple script. Like, it's just basically dumb. It it was like, you know, I had a score uh, and, you know, I'm like, okay, at 10 seconds, somebody's supposed to get a text message. Mm -hmm. So when I wrote my script it was the same thing it was like send send one at 10 seconds and then sleep for another you know 15 and then send one to somebody else um but you could easily write it any which way you could write it to be randomized or algorithmic or you could you know that that kind of that script or that score i mean you know that's that's very similar to what you were talking about in the string quartet you know kind of that like you know when the interactions are going to happen based on your adjacency matrix but specifically like the low level details was that randomized or did you have like a choosing from specific parts of the text or could the program just like select bits here and there um it would have turned out the same way every time but um I had had like a big chunk of the text and then the program chopped it for me. Okay. So like I, I was it. not about to sit there and yes. <laughs> chop it all myself. I, I had the program do that work for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so the, the speakers are all up on uh, all up in the front in this particular movement together. Um, and it sounds like the last movement too. Um, are as the, as the audience member, are we kind of supposed to pick up words and phrases from different speak? Because at some points, you know, like all four of them might be speaking at the same time. So mm-hmm. I, when I was thinking of it, I was kind of thinking about like how you could go to an art gallery or something. And maybe there's a, there's a video piece with like multiple screens, but you can't see all f- all screens at the same time. So you, the viewer have to kind of uh, curate your experience. So the art piece you see on that given day is based on your experience. Is that kind of what you were thinking about how we will like grab onto this speaker for a little bit and then maybe hear something over here and kind of curate our sense of the piece in that way? Mm, Not exactly. Okay. Um, I, I do think that that's sort of the end result. It's it's more about language and how, like, if you take language and kind of... I hate this word, but I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> if you dismember it, mm-hmm. then 
its meaning kind of gets lost. Yes. And so, for example, this novel, Passing, um, you know, was written during the Harlem Renaissance, and, um, you know, it's it's about that phenomenon uh, that occurred in the black community of folks who were light-skinned enough to pass themselves off as white people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there's this kind of sort of morality play between one woman who chooses not to do that and one woman who does. And so the way you take this language and kind of chop it up and spin it around it and obscure it relates to that way that this one of these characters obscured their identity. Now, I use that kind of theme of taking language and chopping it up in lots of different things. And so it's not always about um, that particular specific theme. Mm-hmm. But it is partially about how um, A, that meaning is different in to tie into what you said, the you the not the user. I, say, I wrote a program. I wrote right. a program. So I'm the end user. About a user, but the listener. Yeah. Oh, this is so. The listener creates meaning, mm-hmm. and um, and that is acceptable to me because uh, I'm I'm not really a uh, what's the word I'm looking for here. Um, I I am. It is acceptable for the listener to create their own meaning. Otherwise, I would have gotten on stage before the piece and said, this is what the piece is about. Right. This is um, what you're supposed to hear. This is what you're supposed to feel. Now feel it. Feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, now one thing that you mentioned was this idea of these different screens mm-hmm. and how you can only pay attention to certain things. Um, and while that's... I think the way you described it is not necessarily the way that um, that I w- would think about it. That isn't that is a um, an artifact of what you're talking about, because you know again it's the same, if 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 the point was um, for someone to hear these words to comprehend them or apprehend them or whatever word you want to use Mm -hmm. and then to make a meaning from those words for themselves or even to understand your meaning, then you would have used the exact words the way they were written yeah, or something like them. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that, you know, we uh, probably most of us have gotten at least have some sort of skill in, you know, like listening to two conversations at the same time, you know, um, especially like I, I know I have, um, there are times when people are speaking directly to me, but I'm also listening like over here because I need mm-hmm. to be for, for whatever reason. And when you do that, it's like your brain goes to this different place and, um, it's it, you know it's it's difficult to kind of parse the meanings of of everything so in in a certain sense like you're using it sounds like you're using text almost 
kind of for or, or th this this uh, speaking ensemble almost for like density and um yeah you know like if everyone's speaking at once you you're not necessarily hearing all the words you can't hear the you can't assign meaning to anything but you do get these very musical shapes based on speech yes yes yeah. absolutely right. it is a it is an aesthetic for um texture yeah and and i was very much influenced in this um by uh a person named uh, jared fowler uh-huh who where does he live now i don't know where jared fowler lives anymore but jared fowler actually he used to live in my neighborhood uh and before i lived in my neighborhood he lived in my neighborhood um and uh he did similar things he would take like uh a piece of text and have um i don't know how many different voices and you can't hear you you just a lot of times this was what was cool about his stuff was the main thing you would hear is the sibilance you mm -hmm. know the s sounds s yeah. s s s s and and it was so musical yeah and i, was, I basically stole that from jerry Fowler, <laughs> so i just put that on the record um i don't do it the same way as him that's my out of course sure um but I, you know, that was a very strong influence from him. It's, you know, it's sort of like, in some ways, there's kind of an entry point. And, you know, a piece like this is meant to just be a piece of uh, artwork, a sound work, music. Mm -hmm. But it also could serve as an entry point. Um, to considering uh, some of the um, kind of the themes of that novel, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. um, that was part of why the prompt was to you know for one person to turn to another and ask them about a time when they felt they had to kind of present themselves as something other than what they were. Yeah. Um, so it's all like uh, subtle subtle um nudges to consider things that maybe one hasn't considered or maybe they have you know you never yeah. know with people yeah um, um at the at the very end you say there's a you know there's a trumpet solo and i'm I, i'm assume you're improvising um can you yes. can you talk about your history as a improviser and how how do how does composition and improvisation, how do those two things kind of meld together for you? Or is there no difference? Hmm. Um, well, to answer your question about my history as an improviser, uh, I mean, it, it, I guess it would go back to high school. Um, you know, I was in the jazz band in high school. Uh, I didn't really study jazz very much. I, I studied concert music. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, you know, I I in high school I was I had I was in a group that did a real book jam. You know, we would play real book for eight hours and stuff. And <laughs> you know, we were kids. We would go try to get that hotel lobby gig or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had a couple of those. Played the after prom party, <laughs> you know, for <laughs> high school. Um, and so I did that. Uh, and then you know I kind of went to went to undergrad and didn't really do much with improv in undergrad 
Um, yeah, I was in this hardcore band, and I um, towards like the the latter period of the band, I started playing trumpet in the band, and you know, I would play a solo here and there. So it was kind of like kind of came back because uh, you know I never bothered to like write real like lines or anything. I was yeah. just like, oh yeah, they're they're banging off doing that. I'll just do this. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then, you know, I was in this other, I was in yet another, I was in this metal band and, you know, we'd have some solos. It was more like metal solos, but played on a trumpet. Uh-huh. And, and then, uh, and really, I kind of really got kind of back into improvising pretty thoroughly when I moved to Providence. That was in 2003. And, uh. Halloween of 2000, Halloween 2003, I went to go see this guy, uh, Rakib Hassan, play. He died um, a while back, but uh, I went to go see his group. Instead of going to go see Lightning Bolt, because I got dumped, and I didn't want to see the woman who dumped me, so I was like, I'm going to go to Cambridge, I'm going to go up to Massachusetts, I'm going to go see some free jazz. And uh, so I went to go see Rakib Hassan, and I went up to him afterwards, and I was like, oh, that was really cool. And he goes, what do you play? And I said, I play trumpet. So then he recruited me into his group. Oh, man. So so by, like, you know, December 2003, I started, I was in his group, and that's how I met, like, a ton of the people that I met in Boston and people that I still play with, and, like, Luther Gray and Jim Hobbs and so many other people, Sid Smart and so on and so on. So, so from about then I was just going at it and, you know, playing pretty regularly pretty much since then. I mean, it just depends, you know, there's periods where you don't play as much. Like I have three kids. So, you know, definitely once the kids came along, I I cut back. Sure. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was periods where it's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many people. Everybody is trying to do this. So I'm, I'm kind of in one of those periods again now, though. So, but, uh, you know, and I used to go to New York fairly regularly and play in New York. And I got tired of going to New York because that's that's eight, you know, four hours that's each way and, and yeah. for for, you know, no money. So <laughs> I, it got it got it. It got old. It, that's what's sad. It it did get old. It sh- something like that shouldn't get old because there's some great players there. But uh, and actually, I miss a lot of people I, you know, knew there. But it did get a little old. So, um, you know, uh, I kind of cut back on that. So regarding, um, you know, kind of this connection between the two, um, it depends. I mean, it's there and it's not there because it's like I have pieces that are graphic scores. You know, I had that piece today's media I told you about where it's kind of an instruction, but mm-hmm. it's it's entirely improvised in its performance. Uh, you know, I have like in in encounters the not all the trumpet parts are improvised, but quite a few of them are. Uh, and the electronics parts are kind of graphic, and then I realized them sort of. So. Um, it's definitely there, but then like something like string quartet number one, it's not improvised at all. Yeah, right. And so it's it's sort of in between, and like I'm still working on like I'm I'm still kind of like in some senses trying to put that whole thing together as far as like 
how those two go together. I guess like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they're not different, but in the kind of practical sense of like creating music, they are different because it's like you kind of use different processes to do them and then perform them and things like that. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think music is music though. Of course. Yeah. Well, uh, let's listen to this now. So uh, this is Encounters. Of 
possible taken by that frog. Their sacrificial idea, allegiance, immediate self And she, strange warmth, sometimes heroics. Irene, year than day, had dead. Silly was a old hater. Hard had you passed and almost who or Claire that had been killed saloon fight at scant had with. The last piece you sent me, um, title is just A. That's it. Yeah, it was just the title. I mean, I okay. Originally, I was gonna do so. This was a thing for a, an album that has that it just hasn't happened, and I don't know if it ever will. Um, and the it were just it was just gonna be A B C D E five pieces, mm-hmm. all eight minutes long. So. I mean, since since I started following you on uh, on Instagram, I've really been enjoying some of the videos you post, uh, like you cool. working with Max patches um, yeah. to manipulate sound. So, like, in is this piece uh, is that kind of utilizing uh, Max as, or are you doing something nope. with other software? Other software. All right. No, not even other no. software. What are you doing? No, it's a tape deck. No shit. Oh my God. Yes. Handheld tape. And part of my tape, my tape player is broken. That's part of why I haven't finished this album. (laughs) (laughs) Broken, like broken, not in a good way. Broken to the point where it doesn't function. I can't use them. They don't work. Yeah. I have to just, and and they're not cheap anymore necessarily. um, Or easy to get. So eventually I will figure out how to get something. Um, I really want to. I used to have a four track, like one of those Tascam four tracks. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I used to do stuff off of that. And I, I that's what I really want to get ultimately is get another one of those. Yeah. Um, but essentially, this the way this came about, um, and I, I misplaced the score actually. Um, but I did this graphic score, and and then I kind of just realized it. I was just kind of like it kind of just gives me these hints and feelings of how to play the tape. And then I have X number of tapes and it's multi-tracked. I think it's like four yeah. tracks of tapes. So like I go through four times, I've got different tapes, pop them in and out. And what's kind of cool is like, so there's, I don't remember everything on those tape, like, cause you can't, obviously some of it's going so fast, you can't hear it anyway. Yeah. And, and he, let me, let me tell you this too. The max patches are more me trying to do what I was doing on the tape. Yes. Okay. Versus, yeah. <laughs> All right. I was like, okay, I was doing this cool thing with these tapes. Let me do that in Max. That's uh, more 
or yes. what it is. Right. So, okay. My, all right. Another question. Um, yeah. You have this graphic score. Could this, in in a John Cage Williams mix style, be realized by someone else? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, now, granted, that thing was kind of... I mean, I think if I was like, I'm going to hand this to somebody, I'd probably, I'd probably put a little more... <laughs> Like, I definitely thought about what I was doing when I wrote yeah. it, but I was also like, I'm the one looking at this. I know what I'm, I know what right. this is. Yeah. You know, I know, so, I know what I, I mean. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, do you, do you remember, um, uh, what some of the tapes were? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll tell yeah. you. Um, so one is my dad talking. Is that um, kind of in the middle on the left side kind of, um, uh, it's a little bit obscured, but it it it, it there there's one yeah, tape he's that talking has about no... people having the. He was talking about right after. I want to say he was talking about the period of time in the early seventies when um, he's a native Washingtonian, D.C. Mm-hmm. When you could actually vote for the mayor and things like that, because before you couldn't, the mayor was appointed or the, right. the head of the government was appointed. So he was talking about some stuff like that. Uh, so there's that. Uh, Godflesh. Um, I think some Go-Go. Huckabucks. I have a Huckabucks tape. Um, uh-huh. Go-Go is our... I. It's our uh, form of music. It's an offshoot of funk. Um, and it's our local music. And I remember when I was sort of like... Everybody doesn't have their own, like, for you know, like I, th- I sort of assume every city had its own <laughs> genre of music. Yeah, I was sort of disappointed to discover that, that that is not the case. Um, and what else is in there? I, I don't know exactly what else is in there. Uh, that's the only three things that I can remember off the top of uh-huh. my head. Um, okay, but it's cool because when you once you speak, once you speed it up. It's just all insanity anyway. It sounds like Bugs Bunny on right. some kind of awful drugs to me. And then, so, yeah, you you know, you're doing, you definitely, do, all right, so, man, okay, this is a little bit blowing my mind right now. Um, because I had a completely different conception of how this piece was made. Um, so, you, you have playback speed. Did you have, uh, like, direction? playback direction that you could mess with or was it all just forward yes i think i did i think it could go backwards okay and then there's there are times when it it sounds like um uh what do you call it like uh playhead scrubbing um yeah yeah because i held the thing down halfway and when you hold the play button down halfway it kind of that's exactly what happens oh my god that is so freaking cool. Okay, when did you Which make this? Which is why this? it's sad. A couple years ago. Yeah? Yeah, oh, man. a couple you years gotta, ago. So like I You got to really get another wanted... tape deck and finish it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's and it's sort of in a weird it's sort of autobiographical cuz it's like these are tapes that are and I I had grabbed some from back home in Maryland one time I was visiting. But they're basically, I mean these tapes are old, like so, you know, like the the tape with I I I did that interview with my dad 
I was probably an undergrad, so like, you know, well over 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Huckabucks tape, I bought when I was, pro- I bought that when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not even a go-go person. Like, I just was like, I don't know. I was like, what the heck? I buy this Huckabucks tape. Um, some of the other tapes that I have, like, in my studios, hot mess in here, but um, they go back, some go back to high schools, other go back to college, and, you know, maybe a little bit after that, because, I mean, after that, it's funny, tapes are back now, you know, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, tapes are on the way out by by that time. Um, so it's kind of cool because it there there's it's 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 kind of an autobiographical product project in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really cool, and uh, yeah, I I really hope you can finish it sometime because uh, yeah, I'm 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 really into it. So let's just take a listen to it. This is just a.
All right, so uh, we've come to the the last question that I ask the all the composers and artists that are on the podcast. So, how did you find music as the thing you wanted to pursue for your life? Mm. So it sort of started in middle middle school when the uh, Montgomery Blair Jazz Band visited uh, Tacoma Park Intermediate School, which is where I went to school and did a concert. So. I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh. I was playing at that point. I had started playing in fourth grade. Um, but I was like, wow. And I was like, when I get to high school, I am getting in that jazz band. Like, that was like, that was my goal. And I was, I was, um, and it was my, you know, they had these things, magnet programs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was in the magnet program, but it was my home school. So I wasn't somebody, you know, they were bussing all these kids from, the richer and and I grew up in a rich area like but they were busting the kids from the real rich area down to us <laughs> the Uber they rich. thought we were like they thought we were like oh my god it's like man y'all ain't seen nothing so anyway um so I'm what I'm trying to say is like you know I studied math science and computer science in high school but really the only thing I look back high school and I'm happy about was I got first of all I got in a jazz band in ninth grade Second of all, I was in the jazz band. Everything else in high school, like, I would rather forget, like, about 90% of it. Like, I really wish, I just, yeah, you know, I'm I'm like many people. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, have a certain feeling of unhappiness and bitterness about high school, but not about jazz band. So, anyway, so there was that. The other thing that happened, so I was telling you, um, so, you know, I like metal. Uh, I got in the metal, what was I, like about 13. This guy, Gabe Shapiro, he started hipping me to Iron Maiden. Uh, I got into like um, Anthrax, Living Color, um, different stuff like that. And then I op- it was like Metal Maniacs Magazine. They had this interview with this band called Atheist. And they were like, we're death jazz. And I was like, whatever death jazz is, I got to find out what that is. Yeah. So I went to the... I wish I could. Did I buy this? I, maybe I bought it at Phantasmagoria. I don't remember, but there was a store called Phantasmagoria in Wheaton, and uh, so I bought I bought Atheist. Um, what was the album? Is uh, Peace of Time? I want to say. Oh no, Unquestionable Presence. So I bought Unquestionable Presence by Atheist and Best Wishes by the Chromags. I put on that Atheist album. Man, when that hit, I was like, I want to be a musician. Bam. Period. <laughs> like, Because before that, it was like, I played music. Yeah, whatever. I heard that. It literally changed my entire life. Because before that, I wanted to be an electrical engineer. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm not even good at, with electricity. I'm good. I like <laughs> equations. I don't like electricity at all. Right. So, uh, so I probably would have ended up being another kind of engineer. But anyway. <laughs> um. I heard that and that was it. It was like, this is this is what I want to do because, um, and it's like anything you know. I never heard anything like that before. I I, yeah. and I, I think that's one of the joys, at least for me, of music is that discovery and that sense of discovery. And you know, it still happens. Like I still hear. I mean, I, maybe not as often, certainly, but man, I hear I hear stuff and I'm like, oh my god, mm-hmm. how did they do that? How did he, how did they write that? And especially yeah, when I'm looking, oh my God. So anyway, 
Um, so, you know, in high school, I, I, like I, said, I studied concert music. My, my teacher was with the Navy band. Um, I was in j jazz band, um, marching band, uh, you know, did uh, all-state concert band, you know, the kind of the usual mm -hmm. sort of, you know, I did county jazz band, all those different things. Um, and then I went to undergrad and kind of, the funny thing was, so I went to, my school wasn't the most top tier music school. Um, and I, I actually got into composing because my trumpet teacher was kind of not that good. He didn't mm -hmm. give me anything that was that good. And the irony was my trumpet teacher had taught my trumpet teacher. <laughs> so the guy I was taking <laughs> lessons with before I went to undergrad, yeah, that guy taught that guy. So then when I got to, to uh, American University, I'm studying with this guy, and he's giving me, like, just, like, stuff that's, like, like, what? Yeah. Like, I would, you know, I would do this in, when I was in 10th grade. I been, so, anyway, so I kind of drifted off from that. I did play in orchestra, but, like, whatever. I mean, like, you know, it's not, I, I didn't put a lot of energy into that. And, honestly, I didn't put a lot of energy. I, man, when I was in undergrad, I was mainly into hardcore. Like, mm -hmm. my goals in life was going to hardcore shows, uh, eating, sleeping, breathing, and drinking hardcore music, yeah. and hoping girls would pay attention to me. Like, that was that was pretty much... As one does, you know, yeah. And, and, and I learned some things. You know, I discovered... I discovered Messiaen and Penderecki and, and all of that, and John Coltrane Ascension, and I read books here and there. I learned a couple of things. I learned how to, you know, how sound synthesis works and stuff but i was not a focused student by any means i was just like hardcore 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 moshing shows kickboxing and pit straight edge da, da 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 that's that's what i was about um and you know and i graduated and uh you know just went and worked i mean i was you know i think well my first job out of college was working at a frame store uh -huh. and then you know you have this music degree it's like <laughs> you know i have a, i mean it's a you know i have first of all i mean you know it's a bachelor of arts in music i so was, i didn't go to a, you know so anyway the point is um you know but i was still playing you know and I, I got kept playing in hardcore bands and metal bands and always just stuck with music because music is just the thing that keeps me going yeah and um you know, eventually, like I was saying earlier, I moved to Providence and I started playing with Rakib. I started meeting people uh, through him. And, and, and I, I think what it really happened was that I found kind of more of a purpose in playing. Because, like, I had got disenchanted with the hardcore scene just because of how much it's not about music. Right. And all of these other things and 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 i had a colleague uh, i call him a colleague he's a friend you know and we were in a band together and he, i could kind of see it through his eyes because he was new to it all and i was looking at the things he was experiencing and i was like this dude is one this guy by the way this guy's name is alex nagel one of the greatest musicians i ever had the privilege to play with and I could just see how nobody respected his musician well not nobody there was you know there was like yeah there was some people who got it, but it was not the majority. Most people did not get it. And I was just sitting here going, 
how is this possible? So I said, I'm done with this. Like, yeah. plus, you know, it's all the violence and stuff. It's like, man, you know, I, I, you know, you could go to a concert and really listen to the music and really try to relate and understand and feel what people are feeling. Or you can be like, who's going to get, not, not that there was a lot of fights. I, there wasn't, but you know, it's like just not having to think about that is nice. Right. So, um, so I kind of just, once I, you know, once I started playing with Rakib, I really found kind of my thing in a lot of ways. And, you know, I had, you know, I listened to Ornette and Cecil in high school. And so I was always interested in that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, and Ornette was a big influence. on And Don Cherry, Don Cherry was a huge influence on my trumpet playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of rambling. But the point is... Um, it's it, it's kind of an ongoing thing, if you want to know the truth. Music yeah. is something that I'm always trying to discover more of and expand my uh, knowledge of and um, horizons around and mm-hmm. to just be immersed in. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, before we go, can you tell people where they can find more of your music and also if they wanted to like connect with you, where they can, where they can find you on online? Sure. So the website is ForbesGrahamMusic.com. I also have some visual art. It's kind of old, but if you go to (laughs) ForbesGrahamArt.com, you can check that out too. Um, Let's see. So I also have a band camp. That's ForbesGraham.BandCamp.com. And then in terms of the socials, so um, on the website, I there are links to them, but um, it's for SoundCloud, it's Forbes Graham. And then for um, Twitter and Instagram, it's Forbes Graham with an underscore at the end because Forbes Graham wasn't available. Right, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's kind of random. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, check out whatever you'd like to and come find me and connect and talk and whatever you know like i'm i'm always down to just discover new things and meet new people so please reach out thank you so much for doing this forbes oh yeah thank you thanks for having me thanks for listening as always if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones please go to our website www.adjectivenewmusic.com